the motion picture that dares to unlock the secrets of the unknown. Is the man. Is he Charles? Yes, he is. You call it the man? On this mystery island in the Pacific, three people are trapped in a new dimension of horror. The New York doctor who gave up his Park Avenue practice to prove himself either a madman or a genius. His wife, tormented by unsatisfied desire, desperate to escape her loneliness and her fear. The intruder, he knew that the forbidden secrets he uncovered were against the laws of nature. I shall succeed in creating a higher, a perfect man. Warning. The scene so shocking that a special warning bell has been installed to protect the faint-hearted. When the bell rings, we suggest they close their eyes and not open them until it rings again. folks and welcome back to the bloody pit i have a new guest no wait a minute no it's just a guest i haven't had on the show for quite some time (laughs) (laughs) and and with that noise you will know who it is even if you haven't read the show notes mark maddox how have you been my friend oh oh, that good really (laughs) sorry i've been watching murders in the room org so i'm sort of like you need to talk like legosi yeah i've got that new blu-ray as well but i haven't cracked it open yet that's a show we need to do. I love That's that. Show I love that film so much. And I think uh, it's fantastic. I tell you what, why don't we go ahead and, and just tell everybody right now, yeah, we'll do a, an episode on Murders in the Room Org, because what the hell. Excellent. Excellent. Fantastic. Excellent. Well, uh, uh, what have you been up to lately, sir? How has uh, how has work been going down yonder in Florida? Uh, artwork has been going great. Everything's good. Had a fantastic uh, Christmas. Uh, you know, spent time with... Uh, my family um, and extended family and friends. Um, it's the and the artwork world of doing monster movie art and uh, other kinds of art has been going great. I mean, it's been it's actually been astonishing, astonishingly good lately. Um, so yeah, things are cool. Cool, cool. I uh, I always wonder when I think about how you earn your living. It's it's so much that uh, well, one thing that I wonder about is like most of your time is spent at home in your home studio working and i'm thinking man do you eventually start going stir crazy and just need to get the hell out or is it something that you is it where you just feel more comfortable and so those things don't even factor in well uh, (laughs) i love it here Uh, mark it down people january 2020 mark maddox stir crazy at home guard your children and hide your turtles so I, I love it, Danny. I love it more than anything in the whole world. No, uh, it does. It drives you nuts. It literally kind of – it doesn't drive me nuts. Um, I'm actually uh, – I think in some ways I'm really a homebody. I'm of two, two, two types. One is on the road traveling to the conventions yeah. where I hang out with people like you and have a complete blast. And then the rest of the time, other than being with my family, is being at home, working, and even hating to – drive out across the street or drive down the road to go, you know, 
do do something small. I, it's just weird. It's 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 either feast or famine with me on that. But I do uh, I do stay at home a lot. There's a lot of advantages to it. You know, you're not on this crazy drivers nowadays and things like that. But yeah, no uh, and I need to I need to stay concentrated on what I'm doing. You know, so. Uh, but in stir crazy, there's probably a bit of it. There's probably a bit of a, a weirdness. I mean, and and hell, even doing podcasts. I mean, I consider this me and you getting together. We're we're hanging out. Well, true, considering how long we babbled before we even hit record. That's true. I, I was just I was just curious though. Do you have any? Uh, are there any uh, projects that you're uh, involved in that you can talk about publicly that are that are due out sometime later this year? Well, you've seen. Um, I've been. Oh, man, it's been a great. That last year was great. You saw the. Uh, I, I got to do the covers for. Uh, uh, the Franklangella Dracula yeah. uh, for um, a Shout slash Scream Factory. Mm-hmm. And then I did uh, a Frankenstein Created Woman. And uh, there's a little bit more of that kind of stuff already in the queue to come down the pike. Oops, let me turn this thing off. Sorry. The front door uh, thingy just went off. Um, <laughs> but the uh, – let me let me back up. So there's more of that kind of stuff uh, coming down the – is it pike or pipe? I don't even know. Or uh, is it can it, be is, either one. I used, I, I used to have a series of books that went into the derivation of all these weird sayings. It's, uh, it was originally pike as in coming down the road. Yes. But then people started mispronouncing it pipe. And it's like, well, that yeah. works too actually because if it's coming down the pipe. Yes. Yeah, okay. There was a book my ex-wife read uh, that I thought was – and it really does say that the way we say things is ultimately dictated by the way it flows with the populace. So like people can tell you where or what something the, – the, the proper saying of it, mm-hmm. but if the if society has adapted it or adopted it for um, – adapted and adopted – it, it literally can become the truth. That's the weird thing about it. Oh, yeah, it. that's true. That's very much true of language, and the, it, it's very malleable when you have a living language, and English is, of course, a truly living language. My, my favorite example of that in the past decade or so is the, the movement of the word impact from what it was to what it now is. And it mm-hmm. I spent years just being frustrated and kind of pissed off that people were misusing that word in such an obvious way, and yet now... Honestly, everybody just has to go has to go along with it because it's been used the you know as uh, a um, and it's it's been used now as the descriptor that it commonly is referred to for so long that now it can be either or both and I should I should have learned quicker than I did to not fight that kind of thing because that's just you know once once that becomes common usage that's just the way it is that's how languages work so well and here's a real simple one and I know you've thought about this more woods or wood people people where is it he, he's off in the wood they're not off in the woods oh, woods yeah, is multiple multiple things yeah, yeah i mean yeah, but yeah. you know after a while even i say woods when it's like but it still kind of irks me a little bit anyway enough of the language lesson <laughs> Um, this, so, is, this, yeah, is, but, this isn't a syntax and 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 language derivation podcast this is something different uh-huh. People are definitely turning this one off. Yeah, yeah, they're they're fast they're fast forwarding fifteen seconds at a time, hoping that we start talking about a damn movie. So, so uh, uh, so, so yeah, there's that uh, monster magazine covers, uh, some book covers. There are some things that are in the queue that I definitely can't talk about, and but I'm quite excited about. You'll know about them probably here within the next few months. Oh, there was also that Frankenstein: The True Story, another Frankenstein: The True Story cover I did for um, for Shout Factory. 
Yes, yes. Uh, uh, that w- When that got announced, it wasn't as much of a surprise as it might have been to others simply because uh, I think you and I are both good buddies with uh, Sam Irving and the fact that he was touting the fact that he was talking to, uh, let's just say, several of the people involved in that film, right. including Jane Seymour, and you're just like, why would he be going to interview Jane Seymour for the third time about this? That's kind of weird. And then, yeah, it's like, oh, of course, of course. Who else would you get involved in creating extras for a Blu-ray release? Well, and it's even possible I knew about it before him. Um, It was, uh, I want to say it was Constantine Nasser's baby and that he knew he knew who to go to which was sam for historically but i had gotten on the uh on the wagon with that on the wagon that sounds terrible <laughs> i'd gotten on the bandwagon uh with that one uh a, a bit earlier i think possibly i don't know maybe i'm wrong but maybe maybe sam's just really good at keeping quiet for a while uh mum's devoid but um i loved doing that again and then there's some more stuff coming and then i've got some covers for infinity magazine little shop of horrors i'm doing one this year oh more screen magazine covers of course i did these uh, the um doctor uh, doctor sleep cover for yeah. um and i thought you probably might have seen the other cover the secondary cover i did with uh, um folk horror with all the folk yeah. horror stuff which had haxon on there which i finally saw some amazing stuff in that film and then uh, the one that throws everybody off is it's like Haxon, Witchfinder General, uh, Blood on Satan's Claw and my personal favorite out of that whole group um, um, the uh, oh my god I forgot the goddamn title my favorite one The Wicker Man and, oh, the Wicker Man, but yeah. the one that throws everybody off and they go what's this and then when you tell them they're actually irritated because everything else is kind of a classic and this one's too new to have settled in was uh, Midsommar oh, yeah, is yeah, up yeah. in the that's top a, that's corner. a hell of a film yeah, yeah I, I mean and it fits I it, it fits yet. in perfectly it fits in perfectly with that whole that whole subgenre of folk horror yeah it's beautiful yeah and so they did a big article on that and so that was the cover for for the second uh, you get your alternate cover you get from the comic shops and stuff mm-hmm. so there was that but yes I'm busy all the time and then uh, uh, the rest of it's just hanging out with the family and checking out the new movies and TV shows, watch Mandalorian, enjoyed it, especially the last two episodes. The rest of it was good and everything, and I I, I felt like I was going to continue watching it, but the last two episodes were quite good. Uh, And then uh, watched Dracula uh, this weekend, the new BBC Dracula, watched, uh, oh, what else? Oh, watched Lost in Space, enjoyed the hell out of the new Lost in Space show. Thank goodness. That was actually one of the highlights in a a very uh, nice, pleasant kind of, family should stick together sort of way. It really was uh, quite good. So um, anyway. And that really was kind of the the underlying uh, theme of the original show in the 60s as well. So that's cool. Well, also too, and I will say this, and everybody's already been saying it, Parker Posey is superb in it. Well, she's always been superb. It's nice to have her, have, nice to have her found, having found a role that she really can sink her teeth into and that gives her the ability to stretch in weird directions while maintaining a, a characterization that seems to, to seems to stay in place no matter what happens. It's amazing. Well, it's disturbing that to, to me that she is genuinely, she genuinely, I don't know if the word unnerving is right, but she, she genuinely gives me a sense of fear. Like when I watch her, unlike the Dr. Smith on the original show, who at first was a bit of a a genuine villain and then became this comedic figure of villainy, she is genuinely somebody that's like, you need to be wary of this person. There's some damage in this person, but also some incredible cleverness, almost in a in a in a very mild Hannibal Lecter sort of way, like manipulation and everything. 
And uh, so, I, so I gave that a big thumbs up. So yeah, I mean, just it's amazing to me the world we live in, where there is so much entertainment now. I mean, there's I know, it's all scary. my friends. I can't are, get to it all. Well, my friends are yelling at me. You got to see the Expanse. You've got to watch the Expanse. They're saying it's not oh, the yeah. fastest show ever, but you've no, got to watch it's good. it. I've never. I saw one episode and I I got pulled off of it to do something else, and then it's like, but I it's my intent to go back in and watch the entire show. I never. I saw the very first episode of Man in the High Castle when it was brand new. I voted on on uh, Amazon Prime to keep the show going. When they said you want to pick up pick one of these pilots that you like the best, I picked that one. Mm-hmm. And now the show has come and gone as a big success, and I'm like, I haven't even seen it. So it's well, crazy. I haven't been able to go back. I, I watched the first season and loved it. Haven't made the time to go back and watch the subsequent seasons. Mm-hmm. And it's just a question of time, man. It's like where where do I you know where do I expend my my time? And uh, it's like yeah. I, I think about all the things. It's like I just recently recently uh, just uh, watched the the final season of Mr. Robot, which was phenomenal. Oh, I got to see and, that. I haven't yeah, even see, that's any another thing. Yeah, it, that's that's another thing where it's like, trust me, that's one that I can point to and say, if you watch this, you're going to really enjoy it. Okay, but it's it's but like I say, there are whole areas of television where, yeah, I'd love to sit down and watch that, but it's like, how do I make the freaking time? Two more, two more, marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Jack Ryan. Yeah. Both of those are great. I love both of those shows for a completely different reason. And I want to watch both of those, and I haven't I haven't yet watched either one of them. And I hear nothing but positives about about both of them, and still have not made the time. So yeah, so so we're, we're it's it's this weird sort of feast. It's like a feeding frenzy almost for what you yeah. know you know. Uh, so anyway, well, so listen, life is life is plenty. Well, it does sound like you've got, um, I would say, plenty on your plate, but it's not. that's not even what we're talking about. you just got uh, the usual busy life of Mark Maddox. Yes, sir. That's true. <sighs> well, uh, today uh, we're, gonna, we, we, we're taking a strange right turn from what you and I normally talk about. Uh, you were marveling uh, to me the other day that uh, somehow we have not yet on this podcast has brought up or covered the Blood Island films, which I think are a weird touchstone for people of our age range. Yes. Because I think uh, for some of us, the later ones, the ones that are in color, not the ones we're gonna, not the one we're going to talk about today, because it's a black and white film. But I think those films kind of became famous for a weird subset of gore. That uh, this this movie kind of starts the ball rolling in a in a strange little, little way. Bit, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I think primarily what uh, most people think of when you say the Blood Island films, they're thinking more along the lines of Mad Doctor, Blood Island, Brides of Blood, Beasts of Blood, uh, Brain of Blood, all these different movies that came afterwards. That Wait a minute, were, is Brain of Blood in any way, shape, or form related to the? I didn't know that. You mean the one with no, Grant but it, Williams? No, no, but it was uh, it was Ballyhooed uh, as oh, you know oh. part of that, so that they could you know kind of coattail on to the uh, the success uh, success in quotes he says of the. <laughs> <laughs> of the uh, 60s series of Blood Island movies that got going well after this one. What we're talking about today is Terror is a Man, which uh, actually came out in December of 1959. So, uh, wow. So this movie is, jeez, 61 years old. Well, a little over 60 years old at this point. We're, yeah. we're in January now, so I guess we're, you know, we're just past the 60-year mark. And right. um it's a movie that fell into. I, I, it seems to have fallen into public domain for a while, or at least kind of en- enough people thought it was in public domain that it got put out in a lot of crappy-looking versions. Probably, uh, probably taken from bad television 16 millimeter prints. Yeah. Uh, I know the first time I saw it, the the movie was a grimy kind of uh, muddy 
black and white smear across the screen. Yes. And even the first time I saw it on uh, a DVD, it was uh, like a double feature DVD, and it looked kind of kind of crap then too. Yeah. Uh, and I'd I'd say that much like the speculation of a lot of films, especially black and white movies. Once the damn thing gets cleaned up, it's kind of a revelation because you can actually start paying attention to the attention to detail, the actual uh, qualities within the direction and camera movement. And uh, you can start paying attention to the movie itself instead of occasionally wondering, uh, you know, why everything looks like a a dirty smear of peanut butter in the left corner of the screen sometimes. Yeah. This is uh, often touted as the first of the Blood Island films, and that's really what it was. But no sequels came along until well after the the 1959 release of this. The the first sequel didn't come along until uh, five years later. And uh, the reason for that, I don't know if you know this, but (laughs) it was a fairly successful movie to a degree when it was released in 59 and, you know, played out in 60. Uh But it, but it almost immediately got kind of sold off to a TV syndication package. But in 1960, I think 1964. Yeah. 1964. uh, One of the distributors, took the film, renamed it Blood Creatures, and put it out, and it made a boatload of money. Strange. And, and it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's one of those weird little things where maybe it was a little ahead of its time as for what the audiences were willing to accept or kind of looking for. Yeah. So in 64, it makes a lot more money than it did in like 59, 60. And so that's when they suddenly decided, hey, man, there, there's sequel bait here. Let's let's get to work on this. And that's when you start getting, in 65, you start getting Mad Doctor of Blood Island and Beast of Blood and, and the various and sundry sequels that shift the uh, unstated title of the island straight into the title of the movie. Yeah. Uh, the the unstated name of the of the island I should say uh, because the only time the, the the title of the island or I'm sorry the name of the island why do I keep mis saying that um, uh-huh. is right at the beginning as the movie begins as we focus in on a uh, a, be- a beautiful old style map of this region of the Pacific where you see uh, it listed as uh, Isle de Sangre and mm. of course which is Blood Island and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. You should always say it that way, Blood Island. Yeah, like you're exhaling, like, uh, eh, never mind. Uh, go ahead. I was going to say something <laughs> vulgar, but never mind. <laughs> that's, that's, wow, wow. You He's can, evidencing uh, restraint and taste. I know How it. odd. Yeah, I guess maybe on your show I don't have to. No, of course you don't. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm used to I'm used to my, my other podcast, Monster Attack, that I do uh, with Jim Adams, where I kind of <laughs> – he, he beeps me. He bleeps me and beeps me and all that kind of stuff. And, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, we were talking about blood. Oh, I know. You're supposed to do it like uh, uh, Christian Bale. That's a uh, blood, oh, yeah. blood island. I, as if, as if he's barely restraining himself from doing something much worse. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. So, so La, La Ilsa de Sangre, it, we're introduced to that as the setting for this right at the beginning, and then it's never mentioned in the rest of the film. It's just a, a, a nameless island, as far as I can remember. Yeah. Uh, and so it becomes this, uh, it becomes this uh, amazing Pacific Island setting. And of course, it was sh- it was shot in the Philippines, and that's that gives it a a different look to a lot of other films of the time. So that's cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, uh, there's a massive difference between the visual look of this film and then the later uh, Blood Island movies. Mm-hmm. I am uh, I've seen all uh, I've seen all the films restored. I don't consider the final that final one we were talking about with Grant Williams even part of it because it's like you said, it just threw the name on there to sort of 
to sort of wrap it all in maybe as what a package or something possibly distribution. Yeah, yeah, you know, you, you know how distribution. Brain of blood. Do. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, brain, brain of blood. They're just they're, they're gonna they're gonna do what they can to try to coattail onto something that's considered a success. Nothing so. surprises me after I saw the uh, Frankenstein's bloody terror switch over <laughs> to a rippling image of a Frankenstein <laughs> over to a werewolf and found out you were in a completely different movie and I'm like, what the hell? So, yeah, yeah that movie is that that movie is the, the the real name of it is the Mark of the Werewolf, yes. and that's just. But they had the title Frankenstein already out on some kind of a package thing that they were going to send out, so they switched it. Right? Isn't that what it was? It was. Oh, the the the, the distributor Sam Sherman had promised uh, a Frankenstein uh, movie. He he promised them a Frankenstein movie. Yeah. yeah. So um, anyway. This film has things about it that are, for lack of a better term, cleaner, crisper, and more Hollywood in a way than the later films. I don't know that the later films were shot in 16 millimeter, but they almost look like it to me. Now, that might just be that the best copies that they've got. This looks, if this was in 16 millimeter, I'd be surprised. It looks 35, but it's, it's it's a crisp picture, and I would not know it was shot in the Philippines unless somebody had told me um when i watch it i see um uh some some really good actors uh francis letterer greta i want to say tyson because i think she 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 looked sounds german or swedish or something and well she was uh yeah she was um darn it now i forgot she was uh uh, she was oh she was crowned miss denmark in 1952 so yeah and that's why later you see her again pop up in journey to the seventh planet and and she's um and everybody does good and my hero from a guy who I wish we had seen more of in our lives, especially in science fiction and fantasy and horror, Richard Dar, or I, I believe I'm saying that right, D E R. I'm saying it based on the name Deborah Carr, which is K E R R. So I'm assuming this is the same thing. But he was wonderful in When Worlds Collide. He was almost I remember seeing him yeah. as a kid and thinking, oh, this is like if Danny Kay was serious. That's what I thought of when I saw him. And uh, he comes in the film, and for a moment, I didn't recognize him. And then when I saw who it was, it was like, it's one of those things where, oh, that actor, and it puts a smile on your face kind of thing. The the leads in the film are all all doing a damn good job. In the later films, there's a lot of people that they bring in that you can not you can tell really aren't actors. Well, in those later films, a lot of the people being brought in are being brought in because they would agree to be naked on screen. Yes, that's true, too. And and the thing is, is that you've got people that are uh, – but the people in the film – this almost felt like just a little Hollywood film that got you know filmed two miles down from Gilligan's Island or something like that. It, it sort of had that um, – it was a it was professional looking. The 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 sets were a, a not as not as rickety. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the actors were good. The letterer did a really good job, and the uh, lighting and all that kind of stuff and the editing was all was all uh, pretty good. Now I'm not going to be completely kind to this film. I've got my complaints with it, but uh, I'm going to give credit where credit is due for individual aspects of it that I think are good. So well, I'll I, I'm pretty sure that I like the film more than you. I don't think it's some uh, incredible classic, but I I do come away. Every time I've watched it now on this new Blu-ray that came out a couple yeah. years ago, every time I watch this Blu-ray of uh, the film, I become more and more impressed with its qualities. Right. 
And I think that's just, uh, you know, once you're, you know, once you can pay attention to the details of a film, you either like it a little bit more or you like it a little bit less. And I tend to end up liking this film a little bit more each time I watch it because there's a lot built into this. And I'm the thing that I'm most impressed by, and this this comes down to not just the actors with the with the uh, their their portrayals, especially the two male leads who really get a lot of complicated stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's that these guys are they're professionals they have a long resume you can, you, you talk about uh, uh, Richard uh, Deere or, or, or Care I'd say I, I, right I, I, now I'm, why don't we just say if somebody wants to correct us later we'll just say Richard Dar because like I said it's okay. like it's like, like car you know I just think it's the same thing that's cool uh, but the thing is I mean yeah I mean remember this this guy got his start in the early 40s in a couple of Charlie Chan movies and did a lot of films and yes of course we know him because we're science fiction geeks from <laughs> when worlds collide right. but he did just tons and tons of television and uh, ended up doing um, uh, a lot of television like through the end of his career uh-huh. uh, and it's one of those things where uh, well you know of course the first place I saw him and you probably as well uh, was in the original Star Trek <laughs> where he played an admiral in uh, Mark of Gideon and he ha- and he actually played a different character in the alternative factor the single worst episode the show ever produced but uh, the uh, the amazing thing about him is he's got and I can't stress this enough and I feel like a weirdo saying this, but he has got a truly fantastic voice for an yeah, actor. Yeah, He's got a resonant voice that is exceptional. Now, Lederer also has a good voice, but there's a quality to Richard Dare's voice that I think is exceptional. And he's one of those guys who I would not be surprised. I, I've not been able to find any evidence of this. I haven't dug deeply enough, but it would not shock me to know that he had a really good career also doing radio. Uh, right, right. I thought you decided my work was none of your business. So I did. You have a fresh drink? Mm. I see you're interested in what I'm doing here. I wonder why. Just curious. I wish I were. Ah, well. <laughs> You'll find out anyway from Walter or Tiago, my wife. Haven't they told you what I was doing? No, oh, they've uh, made quite a point of not telling me. They don't approve, I'm afraid. <laughs> I wish they understood, but they don't. Every man needs approval. Understanding. Do you know anything about surgery, Mr. Fitzgerald? Medicine? Well, a couple of years ago, I got into a fight at a bar in Caracas and he took 12 stitches. That's about the extent of my knowledge of surgery. <laughs> That's one of its functions. Repairing damage to the human body. Removing malignant or poorly functioning organs. Transplanting tissue or bone. From one part of the body to another, sometimes from one body to another. And there's been some progress in plastic work recently, but basically, <laughs> surgery has remained primitive. Limited. It's potential not even imagined by medical men. I can imagine it, though. And surgery is only a part of my work, a small part. It's here on the desk, most of it. These are the records. Did I have it firsthand? I feel as if I were 100 years old tonight. I began thinking about this already in medical school. Actually started working only about 10 or 12 years ago. Simple work at first, on smaller animals, skin and bone grafts. Later I attempted alterations of major organs. I had a great many failures, but there was a percentage that was successful to some degree, so I kept on trying, learning, experimenting. Trying what? 
to bring about the modification of a species, but a modification to such a degree that the subject will lose the characteristics of its own species and take on those of another. Do you understand? I think so. I don't mean uh, surface or topographical changes, but basic modifications. Do you understand? Well, on the face of it, it seems unnatural. Is that what the others say? Yes, that's what they say. It's no more unnatural than evolution. It is evolution. And you've speeded up the process, is that it? You make it sound very simple. It isn't. There's more to it than surgery. That's what you say. You see, surgery can alter appearance. It can change a rat into a rabbit. But the real difference lies in the brain. Its size and the function of the individual areas. There is where the change has to be made. You can change the size of a brain closer to a large? More than that. Enlarge and actually alter the cellular structure. By the use of certain chemical, I developed it. It's a synthetic, it's similar to a glandular extract. Now, infinitesimal amounts of this chemical injected directly into the brain during surgery will bring about alteration of the individual cells, cell division, and cell growth. I can control the size of the brain. I can control the function of the various areas. What do you think? I think you've given me something to think about. I can alter living matter, alter it basically, from its smallest unit to its largest, from one cell to many trillions. And that's what the animal downstairs is for. Yes, we can talk some more tomorrow. I still have a great deal of work to do tonight. All right, good night. Richard Dar does play a character named William Fitzgerald. He's uh, he washes up on uh, the beach of Blood Island, and he's uh, he's the sole survivor of a of a shipwreck. Uh, he's found by uh, Dr. Charles Gerard, who's the Francis Lederer character, and uh, he uh, turns out he is a doctor uh, who has given up his rather lucrative practice to play scientist on this island where no one will bother him. He set up a laboratory on this, uh, this on this place. Uh, with his uh, rather, uh, I shall say, decorous and disenchanted wife, uh, Francis, played by Greta Tyson. Now, he's also got or Tyson. Tyson, yeah, we well, have yeah, probably Tyson. I would say Tyson. You're right. given it's probably the fact Tyson. That she was you're right. Danish, yeah. P- possibly. Because we'll be we'll be corrected later. And there's one other character uh, who's a nasty piece of work, uh, a guy named Walter per- uh, Pereira. Uh, and uh, played by Oscar uh, Kise. And the he's a uh, kind of a Seems kind of a French. This is one thing I wanted. To, I wanted to bring up, which I thought was very interesting. This feels much more international than you would think, because uh, even if we're okay, we're on a Pacific island, you know, or rather a small Pacific island somewhere off the beaten track. Uh, you have uh, a, a, an American wash up on the shore. Uh, the doctor definitely has an accent so clearly is some kind of you know vaguely middle european person so with 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 that with francis Lederer's voice i mean he was uh, he's you know, czech he was, yeah, he, he was he, born in czechoslovakia yeah. right so uh you, you you've got that and then greta tyson uh you know born in holland so she's got a little bit of an accent as well but it's different and then you've yeah. got uh this other character who seems to have a kind of french or belgian accent to to a degree right and it feels like 
uh, this kind of, whether it was intentional or not, a kind of uh, bringing together of, of very different cultures, whether or not that was intentional or not. And, and it just, it adds another nice tone or feel to the movie that um, if everybody sounded like, you know, they were from Iowa, I don't know that it would, it would have the same effect. Right. It is a movie. Uh, you've got, of course, the the little boy and the sister that are still left. Apparently, they've come to this island where everybody's fled or died. Or, well, remember, or we see we see the we see the, the 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 tribe near the beginning of the film. We see them uh, the the beast that has escaped and actually attacks and kills a couple of them. And then well, I guess the, the, re- the boy the Tiago the... Uh, is played by Peyton Peyton Kesey, who who must be Oscar's kid. Because Oscar and Peyton got the same last name. Yeah, you, yeah, you're you're right. I'm not sure, but the, yeah, you're probably right there. Like Daddy's playing a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy's playing a rapist. You know. Daddy's playing I mean, a piece of crap. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those where um, I, I will especially give it. Uh, you know, Oscar Kesey as Walter, his acting was a little bit on the mediocre side. To me, the top three are are, are they all do a great job. I will say this too, Francis Letterer, who is the scientist. Hmm, what kind of scientist is he? Hmm. Well, you know, you would you normally think, okay, you come to a, a deserted island, there's a scientist there. Well, he's going to be a mad scientist. I would say that he plays a scientist who uh, knows that what he's doing is illegal, but he never acts like a mad scientist. That's one of the things I got to give this in this day and age, mm-hmm. or in, in '59. I got to give him kudos for is that he never broke from just being a man who was convicted, uh, convinced that what he was doing needed to be done, even with saying, yes, what I'm doing is illegal and I could get in trouble, so I came here. But he never goes, he never goes off the chain. There's never a moment where he acts or does anything different from some person who's working at a darn office doing nine to five. And it's kind of amazing. You're right. I wanted to point out just the thing that you're bringing up, which is, yeah, of course, He's he's the prototypical for this kind of story. He should be this kind of lunatic, mad scientist, and yet the man is incredibly rational. He's uh, yeah. he's a uh, we, we okay. For instance, this is a version of Island of Doctor Moreau. That's what this is. It's an H.G. Wells ripoff. I don't even. It, it's obviously an adaptation or variation on the Island of Doctor Moreau. It's never. It's never. Uh, there's nothing in the credits to to give you that little hint. But it's obviously what they're doing. But Moreau was malevolent, and there were points in almost every adaptation when you see the madness peeking out from behind the eyes, one way or another. But in, with with Doctor Gerard, uh, there's never any threat from Gerard. To any of the other characters, the man is very even keeled the entire time. There's there's no hint that he means his visitor or really anybody else any harm, and that's even after the point in the story. A mild spoiler alert: when he's pretty he's pretty sure that the the newcomer to the island is having sex with his wife. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's one of those things where I think the guy's so obsessed he might have a he he it, it it's in the air that something might have happened between the two of them. Mm-hmm. But he kind of kind of really doesn't care. Yeah, I mean, it's like yeah. it, it does. It's so secondary. Everything else in the world is so secondary to his work. Uh, he, he's obsessed with it, uh, but he still isn't mad. He's not nuts. He's just it's like look, you know. He's driven. That's what I'm he not really going. Is. I'm not going to my grave being known as a great lover. I'm going to my grave being known as the guy that genetically altered 
you know, superior human beings or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, he feels yeah, are, he feels at every point, and he stresses it is what I'm trying to do is help humanity become physically better. That is the goal of what I'm doing. Yeah, and mentally better too. Yeah, yeah. You know, he sort of he sort of. Uh, um, uh, I mean, the whole thing is to wipe clean all the crap from mankind that has, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I, they don't say it out loud, but I kind of get the feeling they're talking about mores and religion and a lot of other things uh, and, and, and beliefs that are, are put in our skulls that aren't necessarily true. Yeah. So he wants to start from the primal of an animal, a clean slate, basically, as it was, and then develop a human being from that. The difference, uh, the uh, the difference in this movie and Moreau is that and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but you know, is that there really only is one creature in this film. Right. Moreau's yeah. got them all over the place. He's got his successes, he's got his failures, he's got his extreme failures. And you can and, and you can see why, for for budget reasons, that would be a choice that you would make as a producer and a script writer. To okay, we only that way we only need one other actor and one creature makeup we only have that one so in a way that you can see that as a budgetary choice but for the type of story that they're telling it also just allows them to zero in on putting the 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 emphasis on the character's motivations the doctor's motivations instead of the freak show aspect that almost any island of dr moroa adaptation would eventually turn into with all these monsters running around yeah I mean, especially later, like the one with Burt Lancaster, because there's even parts in there when I'm sort of looking at it and going, when Bert, and I, I like the movie. I don't love it, but I like it. It's okay. Yeah. And, and Burt Lancaster yelling and saying, you are an animal, that kind of stuff. It's like, why are you going through all this stuff? Just do your job and shut up. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know. I mean, it's like, it's sort of like, you know, you don't walk around. I'm like, you know, it's not like when I get done doing a painting, I walk around going, <laughs> you know, I've got the power, you know. And I, and I think about that with any person that's really serious about their work. It's almost like, what's next to do it? And that's why I like Letterer's thing. He's very straightforward. Mm-hmm. He's very straightforward. He's also um, uh, honest about it. Yes. You know, yes. he's not, he's not, um, oh God, what's the word I'm looking for? He's not. He's um, not deceptive. He's not attempting to hide what he's doing. Once he, it almost, he almost seems happy to have someone uh, that he can explain this to who's not involved so that he can kind of uh, show someone who has no connection to it his his logical pro- progression and what he's attempting to do and why what he's doing is for other people's benefit. Right, right. So then we've got uh, him. We've got his wife that's been on the island. And for a lot of the film, we're hearing her say things like, I'm afraid. Uh, no, I'm not. There, this is an interest. It's almost like a bumper sticker. After a while, her 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 thing is like a uh, 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 a thing of um, uh, Garbo, uh, who used to say, "I want to be alone." Her thing is, "I'm not lonely. I'm afraid." I yeah. missed, after she said it enough times, and they even repeated it. Other people kind of repeated it. It's almost like, "Well, when's that going to go on a bumper sticker?" Uh, <laughs> well, the, it's the, like, she she her her fears and she says it finally at some point she does actually say it to uh, Fitzgerald she said what I you know I'm afraid of my husband and it's not a physical fear at no point does she uh, intimate that she's physically afraid of him she's afraid of him because of his obsession she seems to be afraid of him because he is so single-minded 
that, you know, one, he, there's almost no room in his life for anything other than his work. And that, that fear kind of bubbles up within her because of that. And because with his single minded outlook on life, well, I mean, what else, what, what is he going to neglect? And of course he's already neglecting her, but yeah. he's neglecting a lot of other things as well. And, well, but also let's remember too, and I don't think we've even said this yet. And you know, the show's full of spoilers. So if you're like shocked that we're telling you, yeah, stuff, yeah, well, sp- sorry, spoilers. If you, if you T.S. Yeah. Eliot, but the thing is, 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 is that there are people that got killed when this creature that he's working on escapes. And that's the bottom that's the the, 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 the the part of the film is that he's got a, a, a creature that he's working on. This is, of course, before we really know the big speech about him trying to alter this animal to being more manlike. Mm-hmm. Is that he is there's, – there's this creature that keeps getting out that has killed people at certain times and, and then the rest of the island has fled. So you've got that. You've got him acting the way she he is. You've got uh, Greta Tyson uh, acting the way she is. And, and I will say this. The, the woman is is beautiful. She is spectacular oh, looking. Yeah. I think I think you said something about her winning uh, Miss Denmark or something. Yeah, in 1952, she's gorgeous. Um, yeah. She's she's gorgeous. She's definitely uh, a gorgeous in a 1950s sort of way. And um, but you know she's also she's probably I would say out of the group she's probably the least uh, experienced in acting. But mm-hmm. she does a good job. She does a good job. She's not just a pretty face. In this film, um, she or she delivers her lines well. I would say that uh, you know, uh, Francis Letter and Richard Dar. Uh, I can't stress enough how much I enjoyed seeing both of them, especially Richard Dar, being such a big fan of his. And yet, having um, at first when I started watching the film, and because I had seen the other Blood Island films first, I expected a lot of monotone acting. Yeah. I really did. And John Ashley probably is the most seasoned out of everybody in those films. And he's fun with his little Elvis haircut and kind of <laughs> his, his, William, burns, his, yeah. his William Shatner fighting skills and everything. So I like the guy. I mean, I like him. I mean, it's like, I mean, God knows I, I did an episode of, uh, of um, Monster Attack where we really tore into Frankenstein's daughter. I mean, I was like a pit bull with a mailman's pant leg. <laughs> And yet, you know, <laughs> but, but, you know, but he was one I of have the some, I have some affection for that movie. I, well, I mean, look, that's one thing I always want to stress to people. I always have affection. I don't want to, if I really, really hated a movie completely, mm-hmm. I wouldn't talk about it at all. Yeah. Well, no, that's not true. Creeping Terror I talked about. I really hate that film. But, <laughs> but, um, but at least Frankenstein's Daughter is, is fun to watch there's things there to 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 laugh about with it there's things to enjoy about it and all that kind of stuff but there's also a, a lot more energy to for for me anyway to make fun of it and I, we had a couple of people write in after we did it that were like hey man i actually like that film it's like well you know uh, okay it's it's okay to like things. I mean, that's that's. But that's it's also fine. it's yeah. it's also fun too. But I'm also one of those people that doesn't dislike Mystery Science Theater 3000. As a yeah, matter I love of fact, it. So, uh, yeah, it's like, but but uh, but I I all I, I but I also think that um, I mean, there's movies I've got on my shelf that people go, Ugh, what a stinker, and I go, well, you know what, I like it. And I'm going to watch it, and I'll watch Frankenstein's Daughter again someday. But with John Ashley in those films, he's the best actor in those films. Uh, in this movie, because I was already, I already knew that, I already had a, a predisposition for the way the way those films play. I expected this to be like that, and it's not. This is more of a Hollywood-looking film. Yes, it's shot in the Philippines or anything like that, but the sets, the lighting, and the acting, um, uh, and also too. 
no, no, no stupid dialogue. No, yeah. no, yeah. no stupid. Now I will say this, this is where you and I kind of uh, break off and I've only seen the film once. My luck was, is that I saw it on Amazon prime and I believe it was the scream factory edition. Didn't they, aren't they the ones that did it? Didn't they? Uh, do? No, no, no. It's Severin that put it out on Blu-ray. Oh, Oops, Severin, my boss. Oops, I, I work. I've worked for them too. Sometimes, <laughs> I shouldn't say. Severin Films did it, and if it's the same copy that's on uh, uh, Amazon Prime, there's only one part in the film that has anything that's really noticeably a problem. There's a little bit of a sound flutter or a mm-hmm. sound noise in the film. But even only having seen it once, you know when you're seeing a film that's been restored just by its nature. That film looks like a movie. You would have seen on VHS in the in the early '80s, and it would have looked terrible. Yep. It would have had a thousand scratches. It would have been beat to hell, and it would have been all that way up until modern times, where we're restoring older horror films and films that don't, you know, that they're kind of fallen by the wayside a bit. Thank goodness and we are. Even then, I'm yeah. Well, I mean, it's like the time I watched the first time I ever saw a restored lower end horror film, not Universal or something like that, was when Cinemax ran um, uh, Reptilicus. Yeah. And I was pleasantly surprised as how fun it was to watch with the restoration. Restoration means something. It's like it's like when remember magnetic video? Remember that those yellow boxes and those and those oh, those yeah. films? Oh my god. You oh, would watch something, like they would ruin yeah, they would ruin it. No, they were like worse. It was like a Larry Buchanan film. Like all of a sudden, I'm trying to watch Sound of Music on this magnetic video copy, and it made me actually think I hadn't seen it in several years, and I said, Oh, this movie isn't as good as I remember. That's crazy. That's crazy. You go back and you watch it. I got the laser disc, and it was fantastic ever since. And it's been nothing but better, better. DVD, Blu-ray, now you know, uh, probably streaming in 4K on the Disney Disney Plus. But you're watching this stuff, and it's like, you know what? Having a good copy really matters. It does. And like I say, the complete turnaround. That's why I started the conversation with the fact that my initial viewings of Terror is a Man years ago, what what were, you know, you, you got through it because you were curious about the film, and that's all that got you through it because the print mm-hmm. was awful, and you couldn't really appreciate the qualities the movie actually has. <clears throat> let me let me focus in on one of the well one of the many qualities I want to talk about in specific, and that mm-hmm. is something that a bad presentation will completely destroy, which is your ability to see the work that's being put in by the director and his shot choices. Agree. When, when we start with the movie, after Fitzgerald washes up and he's taken in and nursed back to health by the doctor. One thing that happens is that we learn that there is a, a through dialogue with the other characters, we learn that there is this beast loose, and they're trying, they're digging pits, they're uh, trying to find, they're trying to recap to capture the, the this beast for whatever reason. This is before we know what the beast is and what the doc, you know, how the doctor's involvement with it and things of this nature. But w- what we see is the attack on the uh, the, the the village of the, uh, the natives on the island before they leave. It's this attack that actually gets all of them to flee except for the, uh, the uh, uh, Celine, the uh, servant who's working with, uh, you know, there in the house, and the little boy, Tiago. They're right. the only ones who stay. But the attack, we start with a POV shot where, uh, and it's very clearly set up so that you, the viewer, know that it's a POV shot. And we see this, uh, this camera movement slowly push in through uh, leaves and vines and, and things so that you get a clearer and clearer sh- look at the village from a distance at night. And then mm-hmm. we have the uh, we have uh, the attack 
that we don't stick with that POV. The attack is much, is not a POV thing. It's it's very much a standard way of showing this kind of attack while still hiding the nature of the beast so we don't get a good look at it until later. And then when he's killed the two people who are outside at night around the, the fire there uh, in, in kind of the center of this uh, compound, we then... To close the sequence out as the entire place just explodes and all these people come out of the various huts and are freaking out because there's two dead bodies, we get that we get a repeat of that of that uh, same movement of camera only in reverse as we come back to the POV shot as it pulls back through the vines and things further and further away from the village as the as the the people come out to discover the bodies and it's really exceptionally well done and it is this beautiful cinematic choice that the director has made to 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 set everything in place and to and to kind of use those uh those shots those pov shots to bookend that attack and it's it's what something like that i honestly it had to be there in the film when I first saw it years ago but it didn't register until this blu-ray just how good it is it's vague. It murders stuff. Bad copies murder mm-hmm. things. And I'm going to tell you something. Like I said, I knew that I was watching something uh, uh, at the best we uh, had seen it uh, since people had seen it since the 50s. Because I'm watching this thing and there's a scene where the the creature that they're working on gets up off the table enraged and starts trashing the lab. And I'll say this too. You can watch things that have charmed to them for being low budget, like classic Doctor Who with Tom Baker or yeah. something like that, where something's obviously made of plastic or there's a special effect that doesn't work right and all that kind of stuff. But when you watch a film where you really are kind of looking and go, you know, everything that they did it, it, here, there, 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 and there all worked. Like even – I know this is going to sound probably pretty anal, but even like – the, the 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 dining room setup that they did or the the there's like a living room that they're sitting in yeah. you know smoking cigarettes and talking about the weather and and things like that I'm like everything looks like like it, it, it was done in in a nice Hollywood setting and 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 uh, doesn't have that sort of like oh the walls wobbling sort of look to yeah. it that matters it doesn't feel cheap um, those sets don't feel cheap. And then in the lab, when the monster goes nuts, I mean, they don't just break like a couple of jars. Where I mean, they're smashing stuff, they're destroying things, and I'm like, oh, this is yeah, they're putting the work in, and and that's why I know when I'm watching this that it, I'm already seeing something restored. I've still got that oh, this is special DNA because I'm getting to see what about as good a copy as somebody. You still know it. I think in the back of your head, you still know it. You've seen it a bunch of times and you lived it, but it's like with me. I watched absolutely horrific copies of the old Dark House, mm-hmm. and now we have quite possibly the best copy that we can see. We have been blessed with that. I feel that way about a lot of these films. Same thing with Reptilicus. Silly silly monster movie, fun to watch and all that kind of stuff with a puppet on a string-looking dinosaur. Right. But but it's still fun to watch it in, 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 in its original presentation when it was all nice and clean. Um, it, it matters. In this film, there's a lot of things that I wasn't taking for granted, um, and it also improves. It improves the acting. It improves the, the look. It improves the how pretty Greta Tyson is. It it improves, and the sound was good, except for there was that one bit I told you where yeah, there was a bit a of a thrumming. I don't. Yeah. They, they probably couldn't do anything about that. But there's a lot of things that work. Now, I will say that, and we can discuss the monster uh, if that's okay. The um, I saw photographs of this monster in a move in a, in an issue of Famous Monsters, yeah. 
it was I was in a, a comic book shop and bought a well, it wasn't even a comic it was a regular bookstore that just had some some stuff you could buy off to the side but there was a photographs from this movie in the issue of Famous Monsters I had never heard of the film it showed this guy kind of wrapped up like Christopher Lee in Curse of Frankenstein but instead of that Frank that Christopher Lee head it was this cat monster face looking out yeah and I remember my initial response to it was that's that's pretty cool I mean it almost, it almost looked real it looked like a real not like a real cat head put on a on a um, uh, 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 you know a Christopher Lee body or anything like but it was just sort of like it fit the wraps wrapped around it and it had the the jowls I've heard a couple of people pick on the makeup but we're talking about 19 you were talking about 1959 you know this this low budget Philippine film and yet the monster looks kind of cool. I mean, I think it's sort of uh, yeah. I mean, and they, and they a do a weird. smart thing, which is because of all the surgeries. I mean, over two hundred surgeries he's done on this beast. It's constantly yeah. swathed in bandages, which is a lo- which very smartly allows the uh, the designers to hide seams and to hide pieces that might not work as well as others. And so it becomes even more effective because there's a reason you're not seeing parts of it that work inside the story. Yeah, and and so it was fun after all these years to finally see. You know these pictures. It's like, like when I saw um, uh, the last of the blood movies. Let's uh, um, uh, was it Beast of Blood? Was that the last one? I don't yeah, remember. Beast of Blood. The, I don't remember. That was the time a, when I saw the really great monster movie book by Dennis Gifford, Pictorial History of Horror Films. And there's a picture of that monster washed up on the shore. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until uh, uh, you know, like a year or so ago, that I finally saw that monster for the first time. In real life, I mean, in film life, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And in film life and watching the movie, seeing it move. But I saw that photograph of that monster, I think all the way back in, in 1973, 74. And it's been that many years to seeing it. Same thing. I saw this picture of this cat monster in the late 70s or very early 1980s. And it's been all these decades later. I finally get to see this thing in action. So there's a there's a there's a thrill to that. You know what I mean? Of and it, and it didn't disappoint although the monster's not on screen very much. I wish we had had more time with the monster. Um I don't know. I, I I don't know that I would say that. I think that there's I think in this film there's just enough of the monster um so that it still retains a certain level. Here's the, here's the thing. I mean, as within as within any telling of the island of Dr. Moreau, the the story is going to force you to empathize or sympathize with the poor creature that's being you know operated upon by this this doctor and i think this movie accomplishes that really really well yeah. and i think one of the ways in which it does that is by limiting how much time you spend with it and the uh, the because what you're how you're empathizing with it is through the conversations with the people who can actually talk and um, you're, you're learning bits and pieces of things. And then that watching some, you know, watching some of the, you know, quote unquote, watching some of the surgeries take place and hearing it moan and hearing all those awful sounds that it makes when it's, when it's in pain or, well, and and that brings me to something else. And I wanted to see what you thought about this because something that about this movie that really, I gotta say it's, it's, it's one of the surprising things about it. The, the doctor really is, it, Dr. Gerard's relationship with the, this creature, this tiger or panther man, uh, though he experiments on it kind of all the time. I mean, he's he's done, like he admits, you know, more than like 200 surgeries to this poor thing in two years. He's really sympathetic toward the creature. He honestly has a strange sort of fondness for it. And 
it's it become it, because we can see the movie so well now so 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 clearly you can watch Lederer and his performance he's so good you can honestly imagine uh, like a real scientist out in the, the honest honest to god scientific world some biologist or whatever feeling the same way about you know some creature that they're doing things to because they feel that if they don't then the then the then the creature will suffer in some way mm-hmm. that scene where he's talking to the creature and he's so empathic toward the creature while he's speaking with it it's clear that he cares when he's when the thing uh, the the other character the 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 um oh darn it the um uh walter character yeah. enters the room yeah. and the the animal has been perfectly calm and responding to him and actually even attempting to speak words right. as he coaxes coaxes him to speak but then when uh the walter character enters the room he begins to get agitated because of course walter is a piece of crap who treats him very poorly yeah and then the uh character of gerard saying to him no no no," because he thinks what he's what he's doing is in is he's reacting as if he's in pain and he's going no 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 there there is there is no pain there's there's no pain there's no pain as if he as a doctor has made sure that the character that this poor beast is not in pain now and that you know and he feels so overwhelmed with distress that he might be in pain and when he knows that he shouldn't be and he's confused he doesn't know why the animal's reacting this way and it becomes this amazing thing where I can hardly believe I'm saying it, but it's a masterful performance. Yeah, from but, but there's a balance here to be struck. I got to come in and 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 pee in your soup. <laughs> well, where, I, I would expect where, nothing better for you, he, sir. Well, where he also too, though. But I agree with you. The empathy scenes are are very very well done. Yeah. But they get bal- counterbalanced with a with a scene that I think is almost. I mean, I know it's for the movie's sake and all this kind of stuff, but it doesn't really mm-hmm. make sense given the fact that this guy, it'd be like somebody working on a building or a great piece of art or a, or a, or a surgery that they've been working on, and then all of a sudden the monster kind of goes berserk, gets up off the table. Walter comes back with a torch and is is trying to light it on fire while the doctor is standing there. I, I look at that and I go, there is well, no, 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 no. Way. That, that, that's something. That's something else. That's I, I, I disagree with your characterization of what's happening there. Uh, what Leader does is he goes and he tells Dare to uh, if the Fitzgerald character go and get a you go and get a torch. And the reason he does that is exactly what happens in that scene once the torch comes downstairs, which is that captures the creature's attention yeah. because what he's wanting is the creature's attention off of him so that he can inject him with a, a, something to sedate him and eh, he's trying to do that i guess and, but, and, but, but, but it's but, but it's but, then but he, walter who grabs the freak who's, who's got the torch in his hand and he's the one that then attacks the beast right right i mean to me it's still i would have I, if i have been letterer's character i would have been way more pissed at walter for actually using it on the monsters like you know i just yes. i spent 200 operations on this and you decide that it's okay to light it on fire. I mean, I know that Letterer isn't a isn't a homicidal maniac. He wouldn't be the kind. Then that's another thing that's in his favor in this film is that he isn't so crazy or anything that he turns around and pulls out a gun and shoots Walter at that point. But I would have been tempted, it, you yeah, know, at yeah. that point. It's like you idiot. You know, I didn't tell you to light him on fire. My my only other real sort of. Um, thing about this movie is that the for me the dialogue goes on too long now i know you're going to disagree with it but i just to me no i I can sympathize with that to a degree i think i think it goes on too long i think we get 
I, you know, we, I don't think the movie's very long. What's the running time? Seventy. It's minutes. ninety minutes. Oh, it is ninety minutes. I would have cut it. Yeah. I would have cut it to maybe maybe seventy minutes, and you would have had it. Oh, I would cut that much out of. Maybe it. not. I could see. I could see removing five minutes or so. Yeah, maybe five, maybe ten, maybe twenty is too much. But but I still think that you had a you had a better movie there in the editing room. I could say that you're not to blame for what happened last night. I don't want to talk about it now. If I thought it was something to be ashamed of. Please don't say anything. Talking just makes it worse. We'll have to face it sooner or later. I don't want to talk about it now. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Just look at Tiago. Where's Walter? Walter had quite a bit of sleeping medicine last night. Not too much, I hope. I need him to assist me this morning. Are you operating this morning? Yes. Hey, what is, what is Aku Aku? I see a have been talking to Tiago, huh? Yes, he gave me this. Yeah, that's an Aku Aku. It's a sort of good luck charm. All the natives here believe in it. Tiago must think you need a little bit of good luck, huh? Who doesn't? That's right. <laughs> Mr. Fitzgerald and I had a talk last night. I tried to explain to him uh, what we are doing here. What you are doing, Charles? You see, my wife does not approve. Do you still feel like coming along? Sure. Right now? Yes. You won't be bothered by his crying for a while. I'll be going to his larynx. Yeah, they could cut. They could cut it a little bit. Um, maybe not as much. I was probably going to run through there with a chainsaw, but you went back with a scalpel. Um, but um, to me, as a little kid, this kind of reminds me of. And I don't know what the year difference is. This is probably created actually before. As a matter of fact, I think I'm pretty certain this one was made before. This was made before Curse of the Werewolf. I'm I'm pretty sure. Hammer's Curse. Yeah, it was. And and the First thing the is, Curse of the Werewolf was 60, 1960 or sixty one. Yeah, sixty yeah. or sixty one. And and the thing about Curse of the Werewolf that is more successful than this for the fact that you only see the monster right at the last seven minutes of the movie is that there's enough zigzagging with the script and crazy things going on that I never find myself bored, even though as a little kid I should have been climbing the walls saying, why am I not seeing the monster, or why are we not getting, you know, werewolf halfway through this movie? Why is it almost all the way till the end? That movie escapes it in a very unusual way for, for, for a kid watching a movie. When I watched this one, I could, see, I could feel a little bit of that frustration. Not that seeing the monster is necessary, but I felt like I already knew where the plot was going. Guy comes to an island, guy working on experiments, wife's not af- is, is afraid, Hmm. Weird, weird sort of assistant who basically turns out to just be a, a, a thug. He's, he, you know, he tries to, uh, he, he basically is abusing one of the. Uh, uh, he's uh, abusing Celine, the uh, the native. Celine, character. the native girl. I mean, she's got bruises on her arms, so obviously he's just attacking her, and then later tries to do same, do the same thing with a letterer's wife, and so you've got that. But you can see where it's going, and it kind of plays out in a straight line. Curse of the Werewolf has all this wild, weird stuff, and like baby born on 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 Christmas from a uh, an unwanted child, and and then uh, him. I mean, just the fact that it's Oliver Reed uh, is is the center character. I think that that is kind of. I, I see these two films, and I see that Curse of the Werewolf is more successful at it. I, I think the fact that we know where this is going and it pretty much plays in a straight line is one of the reasons that I find myself sort of thinking about uh, you know my grocery list and stuff while I'm watching it. <laughs> well, I, I agree with you that one of the, the the standard criticisms of this movie is that it gets labeled as a little too talky. 
and there is an aspect yeah. of that to that's there in the script, and I think yeah. that it's probably there for good reasons. It's there because they're um, they're trying to emphasize aspects of character that are going to pay off in the latter part of the film, where you actually begin to sympathize with really kind of all three main characters. Yeah. You really kind of see all three of them as decent people in a very strange situation. And you right. only, you can only really do that if you've got some pretty decent actors and you do, and uh, you've spent enough time with them seeing how they respond to each other. And that does take time and it does take dialogue. Well, I mean, like I say, I think I like this movie more than you, but I, I will say that there's one criticism that I would level at the film that I've not heard you bring up before. And it's really the only serious complaint that I always I always give voice to every time I watch this movie, which is as beautiful as Greta Th- uh, Tyson is. And she's absolutely gorgeous. He, he, she and her husband have been on this island for two years at this point. And yeah. quite honestly, I need to have another character in here who does her hair and makeup every day. Uh, because she is, I, I don't know how much of a supply of lip gloss she brought to the island, uh, but it has to have been a case or more because her her lips and her makeup are always impeccable. I'm in awe of her amazing eyebrows, and uh, whether those are wigs or her real hair, she's always looking really good. And it gets kind of weird at a certain point because it, it breaks. It does at points break the reality of the situation for me, because she's also always impeccably dressed and in high mm-hmm. heels. It's bizarre. But it's okay that there's a cat monster. What the hell are you talking about? Yeah, of course Jesus. it's okay. There's a cat monster. That's the whole point of the freaking a, movie. But it, but the woman can't. The woman can't take care of herself. No, 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 it's not that she can't take care of herself. That's not the point. Remember, the reason she helps with her, uh, her, she's there helping with her husband. Besides just being married to the man, is that she's a nurse, and so the the idea that a nurse would be walking around and you know helping with surgeries and doing the things that she's doing in high heels kind of breaks things. <laughs> Dude, you 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 you're you're thinking too much. I I am not thinking too much. You're, <laughs> you're not thinking, thinking enough as usual. Thinking too much. No, no, no. I mean, it's it's like you you went to the movies. There's supposed to be a a a, a woman who uh, you know. I mean, she she's beautiful to look at. Oh, you she's want, gorgeous. I mean, yeah. Probably for the people who well, they go. Okay, so let's say you go to this movie and you're not a monster movie person. Well, here's a beautiful lady to look at for a while or something. I mean, I don't, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, that is, I get it, but we are talking about movies here. We are talking about 1950s movies here. We're not talking about the super realism of, you know, oh, well, she should have looked like she was at the last third of Apocalypse Now or something. No, That's no, the, I just think know. that she should have been, I, w- I would I would have an easier time with the lip gloss and the impeccable, uh, the impeccable makeup uh, and hair if she was... I have to put it this way, more sensibly dressed for where she is and what's going on. Yeah, maybe. But but you got to realize, too, you look at photographs of people back in the 1950s in Life magazine. I was looking at photographs of New York City in the 1950s the other day. Everybody's standing in Times Square. Now, you know how people dress nowadays. Every man standing in Times Square was wearing either a button-down or a full suit. Yeah, Women were yeah. all worn with dresses and hats. It was a different age. The way that she's dressed is actually considered a little um, not not um, uh, not what's the word when you're not 
you know, dressed to the nines, but that next level, I mean, she's wearing white. It's, it's obviously stuff that can go out that, that can be worn in the jungle, probably a lot of cotton and stuff like that. Yeah. But you got to realize people just always dressed beautifully back then in comparison to today. Nowadays they wear big dumpy clothes and, and I mean, you see people in the, in the, uh, uh, grocery store, you know, they're, in their I, freaking I, pajamas. Yeah. I see people in pajamas and I see people literally, literally wearing their fur, their fuzzy nighttime slippers. In, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and but but if you look at photographs from the from the especially from the forties, fifties, you know, even into the sixties, and you watch guys at a baseball game, you know, and a and there's a pop fly and it shows all these guys in the stands jumping for. They all got suits and ties on. Yeah, um, I, I, I remember. I, I, know, I, I know what you're I talking think, about. I think it's part of the thing that you're looking at too. Yes, probably she spent more time on her makeup. Yes, it is a movie. We got to do that too. But she did win. What do you say, Miss Denmark? Yeah. So I mean, she's obviously already a natural, naturally beautiful woman. Slap on some glossy lipstick. Oh yeah, that, that's that's part of my point. And given is the fact that, that she's Denmark, is that she's a blonde. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that's part know. of my point is that she's clearly a naturally beautiful lady, and mm-hmm. it seems to me that one of the one of the things that the movie had the opportunity to do and kind of missed the boat on, which is introduce her in a much more when you first meet the character. You know, she's she's been there for two years. She's you know, she's there with her husband and some, you know, and a, and a guy she doesn't give a crap about and the servants. So she yeah. doesn't she doesn't go out of her way to dress up or dress in a way that does anything more than just get her through the day because she's doing things. And that's how we're introduced to her. And then when they have that dinner, once he's once the once Fitzgerald has recovered, then she does herself up, and you really see how beautiful she is. But that's not mm-hmm. what they do. That is a missed opportunity in my eyes where you see, oh, well, yeah, she's obviously a pretty lady. And then you see her doing herself up to present herself you know, for a, for a dinner, a nice dinner. And you're like, oh, no, she's freaking gorgeous. But the right. thing is, she's freaking gorgeous all the time. So it's, a th- it's, a, it's, a, it's just a single beat throughout the entire thing, whereas it could have had ups and downs. And then later on in the film... You could have had her looking less absolutely gorgeous as she's kind of reaching the end of her rope. In other words, she'd look very gorgeous when she's very obviously seducing Fitzgerald. But mm-hmm. then later on, when the, the kind the, 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 her feelings about what she's done is kind of crashing down on her, she would look a little less enticing. In other words, they could have used her appearance in a way that would have enhanced the story, and they just don't. Mm. Okay. I, see, I sense some disagreement. Or are you just chewing that on? Are you, chew, are you no. chewing on that? Because No, I'm not chewing on it. I, I heard what you said, and that's it. You think I'm an idiot, and we move on. <laughs> that, dude, I thought that before we started the show. That, no. I, I mean, to me, it's one of those things where we are talking. Uh, I mean, the whole thing is fantasy. I mean, the whole island. Oh, yeah. You know, they... They don't show. They don't show her. They don't show the scene in the in the in the movie. They cut the scene where they're all sitting there, and she leans over to one side of the dining room table and rips off a fart. I mean, you know, <laughs> they cut off. They cut the part where everybody's got bo. First they, of all, they I do not think that a woman that looks that good farts. I'm sorry, it's just not possible. She, what was that old? What was that old uh, Richard Pryor joke? She paid somebody to fart for her. <laughs> uh, you know, the thing is, is that is that. Um, I mean, you look at stuff like that. I mean, sweat. You know the fact that you know who who on the who on the island's got a, a venereal disease. Uh, who who sweats the most? <laughs> oh um, you know our good guy. Uh, you know comes gets washed abo- uh, from uh, on shore from the boat. His hair is perfect. 
You know, mm-hmm. it's a movie. This is a fantastical thing. And we've got people making horror films now where you make certain that everything reacts to where you are. If you're in a sweaty place, your shirt is drenched. If you're, you know, I mean, I'm watching uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino's wonderful movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, again, yeah. for like the eighth time, ninth time, something like that. And I didn't realize that the uh, girl that gets in the um, – um, uh, a girl that gets in the in Brad Pitt's car when she raises her arms up above her head, her arms, her armpits aren't shaved. You know. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and that's the thing too is that we're talking about what human beings actually do, what they actually are like, what they actually smell like, what they actually feel like, whether or not you know they need to go take a bath, whether they need to shave, whether the, what clothes they wear. I mean, you're kind of talking about a fantasy film where there is a beautiful lady on an island with a cat monster. That's kind of part of it, and I think you're reading. I think you're 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 running down a rabbit hole with this one. Oh no, I, I, I don't I don't consider it running down a rabbit hole because it is something that's that's been an odd kind of amusing thing to me every time. If I've you watched watch Chronos, so. if you watch Tarantula, if you watch The Black Scorpion, all the women in those movies are just beautiful. I mean, they oh, are yeah, be- the woman in Chronos. I don't remember her name, but I mean, I remember thinking she had about one of the prettiest faces of any woman I'd ever seen. Well, in a Ma- film. Mara, Cor- Mara Corday in uh, the tar- in Tarantula, she's one and of the Black most beautiful Scorpion, women. Yeah. yeah, she's one of the most she really beautiful women in films at that time. Right, and and. A damn good actress too. Yeah, I mean, Mara she was Corday really was a good actress. Uh, 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 the combination of beauty and skill is there, and and so you know, I I I I mean, think about what was the movie I was watching? Well, I was watching another one of those uh, island films, and it had the girl from the Apple. I forget the actress. No, no, no. Name. You're thinking of Angelique Pettyjohn. She was in Gamesters. No, of no, Cash and the next film. No, the oh, film no, after I'm that sorry. one. Okay, I'm the sorry. girl, the girl from the Apple. The the she she was kind of Swedish and tall looking, and Not there's sure. there's a scene, and John Ashley has been running through the jungle for days trying to help her and all that kind of stuff, and she finally gets cleaned up, and John Ashley has been in, he's in the same clothes, and it's like I, I you know, he's sitting there and he gets inside the. The, the hut where they are and you can tell they're getting ready to 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 make love <laughs> to as get it, it were, on make love you know and he he steps inside and all I can think of is dude that's the same pair of pants you've been wearing for the last <laughs> four days in the sweaty jungle and you're not going to get a bath before you get within five yards of that beautiful woman yeah of are course i mean clearly idiot? you probably have crotch rot you need to take you need to take some i know take it, some account dude, here. you need to take a flamethrower between your thighs <laughs> i mean it's just one of those where i'm just sort of like, and that and that's and that's more fantasy you see oh he was out in the jungle being yeah. heroic and i go no dude you smell no dude you 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 really you really smell you smell like a corpse <laughs> um, and so we, we, we gotta, you gotta let some fantasy come some, com, as well, I call I it, com, no. I mean, I don't have any trouble. Bookiness. Like I say, I enjoy this movie more than you do, but like I say, that one element, the, the, the way she's dressed and the makeup and the high heels is the one element in the movie that there is a way for it to have worked within the context of the movie, but the movie would have needed to pay attention to it. And I'll it, say and it just this. Doesn't. I'll even go a step further. I would say even Francis Letterer and his, his rotten little assistant, uh, they look too good for the situation. They look too handsome. I mean, it, and that's what I'm saying. Everybody looks too good. It's a movie. Yeah, I can see that. John Dar. John Dar looks at John Dar looks great through the whole book. There's you one mean, part Rich, where he comes Richard, down. Richard Dar. 
Oh, I said John Dar. I was getting John Ashley. Uh, <laughs> Richard Dar comes down, and there's one point where he's got some. He's got like something like they hit him in the chest with a bucket of water. I didn't understand that at all. That must have just didn't seem like film it. We got to get this done before the sun sets. But but through the film, I mean, he his hair is perfect. Who did his hair? Oh yeah, Why? that's a fine, yeah, that's a fine thing. He clearly got a perm before he got on the boat that shipwrecked. Yeah. Well, his hair was always like that. It was like that in When Worlds Collide. He's got that naturally. What was it they said in 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 Peanuts? And naturally curly hair. Naturally curly hair. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that's that whole movie fantasy. I mean, you look at the people in Tarantula. You look at you look at John Agar running around in the desert in a suit. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> you know I always love that aspect of of Tarantula where it, it's it, you're in the desert. And John John Agar looks like a man who would not sweat if you held a gun to his head. It's insane. No, no, he's he's like Mr. Perfect. Um, you sort of, and that's the thing. That's the movie. I'll, I'm gonna. I you always. I, I I've always got to run it through the 1950s filter when I see something, including the way that Greta Tyson looks, and she is just spectacular. She's looking. voluptuous. She's beautiful, and the movie the movie does not really exploit her in a way that that felt that felt no no um, even the, even the swimsuit thing this is probably it's a one-piece I'm, swimsuit I'm, yeah yeah I'm, I, well i'm thinking it's pre-bikini i don't think they had bikini i think bikinis came yeah, later no bikinis came in in the early 50s i thought but was that in europe mostly and not in the united states i don't yeah, know I anyway don't know. they don't they don't overdo it with her they don't they don't uh you know she's uh they they don't um, they don't go further. They didn't go like Hammer <laughs> Hammer would go or anything like that. Yeah, there's not so. there are no ridiculous shots of. And it could be cleavage. very much that she's like, look, I'm a Miss Denmark. I'm I'm maintaining my reputation. I'm not going to look sloppy in this movie. And they're like, yeah. well, you're the you're the femme fatale, or you're not femme fatale. You're the you're the beauty of the movie. So we're just going to keep you that way. Simple enough. So the movie ultimately, um, I have mixed feelings on. Okay. I definitely, I definitely give it give credit where credit is due. I think the cast was pretty darn good, although it was a very tiny cast. We have to always say that too about the. Well, this one's actually even a, a smaller cast than a lot of a, a lot of those uh, Eddie Romero movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of extras running around in his films and stuff, but in but in this one, it really does concentrate on about four people specifically and there then about six, six speak, there's six speaking roles yeah six speaking roles and then you've got that kid who and there's two things right at the very end and we can discuss the spoiler spoiler spoilers that the cat monster gets loose and uh, Richard Dar and uh, Francis Lederer go chasing him into the night uh, the monster comes back and kills the lovely island girl that, which made me even more sad because not only should she spend the, the, the last part of her life being sad and afraid she gets obviously I think she's being manhandled if not raped by by the Walter, uh, yeah. by Walter and then at the end she just dies she I just kind of yeah. the cat comes back and kills her I almost thought that might have been handled different but then they they continue to chase. Um, now, uh, let me ask you a question. I think I'm pretty I'm pretty certain with only one viewing. That little boy was supposed to be her brother in the film, right? Um, I were they related? I can't remember if they were related or not. I don't think so because remember one of, the, one of the one of the brother. one of the story points one of the story points for the little boy is that his mother was killed. 
Well, I thought that was both their parent. I could it be may wrong. Have been. May have been. I have to watch know. it again. I can't remember. But if that's the case, it, it gives it gives me two alternate ideas for the ending. Anyway, so they 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 chase the the, the cat monster comes back and does the thing that all cat or all monsters do: grab the pretty girl with too much lip gloss and and are, and are too well dressed. That's <laughs> and, the reason and carries why. her off. Of course, he's going to carry her off so he can go ask her why she does that. And he carries her to a mountaintop like King Kong would or the creature from the Black Lagoon. That, that kind of thing's always been a little bit – I get it for a plot point, but I always thought it was a little silly when you really think about it. It's like Princess Leia with uh, with uh, what the giant um, – Jabba uh, the Jabba the Hutt. It's like I remember I was uh, sitting there watching the film one time with a, a, a friend of mine who's since passed. Uh, Glee Hollander, and she she she's a therapist, clinical therapist. She leaned over to me and she goes, "What kind of cross animal sexual tendency thing is this for Jabba the Hutt to be licking his chops over Princess Leia? Why would you know Jabba the Hutt find Leia attractive?" Well, that's just it. it I never and this boy, what a thought, what a side road. I never felt what uh, those what was happening in uh, Return of the Jedi with Leia. I never found that to be some kind of salacious sexual thing. I always thought that was just this, you know, they were presenting him as this uh, this creature full of appetites. And obviously the reason you keep a, this this woman, this powerful woman, you know, in a bikini chained to, you know, chained to your chair, it's a, it's a dominance move. And I've always read it that way. It's mm. I never read that as a sexual thing. The the whole bikini thing, that becomes, you know. That, People yeah. in the theater didn't agree with you. When I watched it the first week, it was know, out. I'm saying from like, the Ugh. perspective of the character in the story. I, I've never read that, uh, the Jabba thing. I don't know. I think, it was, I think it was a little thing. tiny. It's sort of like King Kong falling in love with Fay Ray. I mean, my God. She's she's the size of your hand, dude. What are you? What are you? What are you falling in love? Yeah, let's put Creature it from way. the Black Lagoon. Yes. Oh, Julie, Ju, yeah. you know Ju, Julie Andrews. Uh, Julie Andrews. Um, <laughs> Julie uh, Adams. Julie Adams is is uh, is cl- close enough into looking like me for to, for me to want to carry her off to my cave. Yeah. There, there's always been that with me. I, I mean, I don't hate it, and it sure, certainly is a, a a great part of of uh, fantastical fiction. But at the same time, I kind of look at it and go, it's a little silly. And I feel the same <laughs> thing with this cat monster, you know, uh, carrying off, uh, uh, you know, Miss Miss Norway or whatever. She So he runs off with her, and and at the end, they, they he, he puts her down, luckily, on the side of this cliff. And Francis Litterer comes up close. And this is the one thing for 59 that uh, was a little shocking, I think, at the time, is that the cat monster literally rakes his claw across Litterer's face. Yeah, and that's an effective and, piece. It's an effective piece. It's very Hammer-esque almost in a way. And I, and I think we were seeing other films like I think I think Teenage Frankenstein came out after A Curse of Frankenstein and uh, and Horror of Dracula, or as they call it, uh, Dracula. Uh, around the or, same time, just about the same, the same year, yeah. Because I felt Whit Bissell was always kind of channeling a bit of the Peter Cushing, because Whit Bissell normally played nice guys and stuff. Mm-hmm. Or, but in that movie, he was a bastard. I mean, he was scum in, in Teenage Frankenstein, and I and I see I, I I see a little bit of a ripple in a pond created by by Hammer at that point because both uh, Dracula, yeah, fifty seven, and Curse of Frankenstein had some gruesome moments in them, and I think that maybe Terror as a Man was also looking at and going, well, we can get away with this or we can do this, and you I think got you're, I think cl- you're right about that. I think that's very much in play at that time in in the world of making monster movies, yeah. Right, and the claw rakes down his face, and then uh, he gets thrown off a cliff, or the wobbly dummy gets thrown off a cliff. <laughs> and then uh, they always need, you know, uh, dealing with a lot of anatomy. So I always say, you guys need to attach the thighs to where they don't like split like a giant T. 
when <laughs> I know that's the that's the one little technical thing that always bugs me is like when you know when they toss a dummy off a building or a cliff it's like come on just build it so that the legs don't flop around in a way that makes it obvious that it's a dummy god yeah we'll we'll still know it's a dummy because you know we know what people can get away with but 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 there's certain joints and stuff that don't go completely backwards just because of wind force as yes. you're dropping and um you know but there's that and then uh the monster then gets shot by uh, Richard Dar and and falls to his death. Now, what well, we think he falls to his death, he runs down the hill, and then the little boy sees the creature on the shoreline, and there's a boat there, and he tells the creature to get in a boat, and the creature sails away. So it's yeah, kind now, of a, you know, I'm glad we've already said spoilers here. I I always forget when I get to the end of this movie. I always forget the ending and how ambiguous it is. It's kind of astonishing. Well, here's the thing too, and I thought about it. Did anybody go up to that kid who I thought was her brother? Mm-hmm. And I might be wrong, might so be, it might be, I, I might, yeah. I might be wrong. But if after he lets the cat cat monster go, and he goes, it it sailed away, it went away, it went all across the across the ocean, and then Richard Dar walks up to him and goes, you know, I just killed your sister. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like. Oh, let me get back on a small boat and go out there and burn that son of a burn bitch that out. bastard for murdering let my only just, family. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you know, I mean, think about it because I mean, there's sometimes in movies you see things like it once again, the end of of Frankenstein's daughter. The guy at the end of the movie, his girlfriend, who or the girl he was chasing through the whole film, gets horribly killed. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the film, but he's still ready to crack some jokes at the end before he gets pushed in the swimming pool. <laughs> I mean, it's like you know what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. It's like they don't connect certain things back to reality. It's like, when should somebody be sad through this part of the film or whatever? And I said, I might go back and, and rewatch it and find out that that wasn't her brother. But if it was, it makes it kind of funny, makes it for a good, a, a good MST three K joke. True, very true. But, um, so yeah, I mean, uh, but, um, I'm glad I watched it. Uh, I'm sure I'll watch it again in the future. I, I have a particular affection for the, the leads in the cast. I think they did a good job. Surprisingly, after watching, like I said, out of all the Blood Island films, this is the one I saw last, which is – I kind of did it bass backwards. But I think that um, – I think that I'm sort of uh, it was a pleasant surprise as to the it almost makes me wonder what happened with Romero in terms of like he's really started kind of cranking on him more later and that the acting kind of wasn't as good and and there were certain aspects to it that weren't as well done the lighting and and the photography wasn't as good in those later no they weren't and I think that's probably because they were they were shooting them I think they were shooting them much cheaper and in color, yes. and it's very difficult to hide uh, things when you're shooting it in color. In black and white, there you can get moody, and you can get, you can get some really stark lighting and some really beautiful imagery, because black and white just is is partial to that kind of thing. But the 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 color films they look cheaper by virtue of the color processing at the time. I mean, remember, if you don't have a large budget, your color processing isn't going to be the best in the world. But that's just the way the film is going to look. Well, there's a there's a there's a strange thing to this too. Of course, we know John Ashley would later go along and be one of the. I mean, here he is. He made all these films. I think somebody even interviewed him one time where he said, "You know, I'm proud of what I did. Yeah, well, they were cheesy, be, but yeah. I'm proud." And he should be. I mean, it's it. And I I like his legacy now. I didn't know about this legacy until. But he also went on to be one of the uh, co-producers or co-executive producers on Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Speaking of the Philippines, but you uh, you look at the films and. 
there's an unusual color to the processing of those films where there is a sort of a, a like aqua blues instead mm-hmm. of instead of some things being blue they're sort of aqua but almost like that off color is almost a benefit to the film i don't know if it was intentional or if it's just the age of the movies or it was as good as they could restore them but there's a kind of a it's its own world that little bubble of those color films that they did later and and i guess i would include um the twilight people there's this bubble of these of these movies made at that time that really are it's own package and i know that uh you know they did a box set of them i guess that was severin as well did a did the box set of those of those films um well it, and it, it, I does, find it doesn't include twilight people but the yeah, you're, you're right. Yeah. There is a different. Look. I did get a copy of Twilight People. Yeah. Uh, I, I I got a copy of it. And the thing is, though, but there's an unusual thing now. Having said that, there's a difference when you're watching the way different films have different processes, different formats, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas something like Larry Buchanan, who was like fo- told make a bunch of color films, or he decided to make a bunch of color remakes of, of films really poorly, yeah. where the color in those films makes me nauseous. Like, well, there's no atten- like, it's, it's um, clearly there's no attention being paid to the color palette or even that's actively the only thing they're thinking about. for color. They were told color television is coming in. Get stuff in color. I don't. We don't care how bad it. They filmed this movie. I swear to God, Rodney, the 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 thing that they processed that film in had to have been human vomit. <laughs> I mean, I'm just telling you, it's like they just dunked, they just took the film and just ran it through vomit because the, the, the color palette is vomit. Well, Watch. look, 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 there's no, there's no benefit to talking about Larry Buchanan films. I am, I'm confident of that. So, well, I mean, but the thing is I'm watching these movies and I'm like, they, even the color and the warbly sound make me nauseous from the get go on one of those films. They're so weird. And that's anyway. not the, it's, you watch the stories they're telling and that's clearly not the intent. It's just a, a part. It's just a part of of how they made the damn things, and it's just uh, it's, it's it's not a good. It's disturbing. Thing. It's disturbing. I even so, you and I both agree on Larry. These yeah, movies, yeah. I will give. I will give the 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 Philippine horror films. I will give them some moments of. I'll give them definite thumbs up at certain points. Um, I actually. Uh, the Twilight People. I remember being a little kid looking in the local newspaper, and the Twilight People, which was new at the time, was coming to the theater. I remember the poster art, and I did not see Twilight People until last year. I was when oh. I finally saw it. After all those decades, I finally saw it with that that poster with that kind of oh, what do you want to call it? Uh, not a wombat. What's a, a, a <laughs> what's a what's a creature? A hyena kind of looking monster holding this woman up. And she's like, ah, and then there's like a bat monster on there and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, I want to go see that film. But it looked like it was going to be, and I think it was an R-rated film. I can't remember if there was nudity in it or I not. I can't remember. I think there but is the thing, some nudity in it. But but the thing is, is that seeing it all those years later, um, and it was a good copy. It was a nice, nicely restored copy. There's a difference between watching that and, 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 and saying, yes, these people had a very tiny budget. Yes, the movie's basically, once again, another Romero version, Eddie Romero version of Island of Dr. Moreau. Yeah. But at least in those films, there was enough there going on to, to where I felt if I had seen it, like especially like at a drive-in, I would have, I would have said, yeah, that was a fun drive-in movie. Whereas Larry Buchanan is just good, um, you know, look straight down in the toilet bowl before you hork <laughs> sort of movie. Um, well, anyway. uh, just out of curiosity, uh, for a lot of people, Terror is a Man is the best of these Filipino Blood Island films. Do you feel that way? Uh that's weird. You you put me in a weird. I would say there's aspects of it that are better. I would definitely wouldn't say it's the best to watch. Okay. I would say that some of the other films have a little bit more wild energy. It definitely got the best acting. 
Definitely got the best lighting. Uh, definitely have the best photography. Uh, of, I'll say that. The photography, best photography. I think it probably just for the single monster probably has the best complete and non-fake looking monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't disappointed after all these years. Like, oh, when I looked at years ago in uh, uh, one of those monster laughs um, uh, Marvel magazines and saw the creatures from the slime people. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then I said, oh, that's a cool looking monster. The monster in a still photograph looked Looks really fine. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you ever get a chance, check out our Ragorama we did on that film on Monster Attack. We There's very few films that we literally say we're going to go in, you know, like we're rolling up our sleeves and really tearing into a film. Mm-hmm. That was one of them because the movie's just so bad. I, I, you can you can call me whatever you want to call me. People can write oh, in. No, and slime say, People, I don't think you're going to find many people defending the Slime People. I enjoy it only because I first saw it as a Mystery Science Theater episode. Right. And so I'm, I'm uh, but, but in that, that's when you see a photograph in a movie and then you go see the film and you go oh or when the first time I ever saw it the terror from beyond space it's like oh the movie's as good as the pictures yeah. you know what I mean it's like the monster's cool looking the, everybody's playing it good the, the basic plot's pretty good basically the 1951 version of the thing inside of a spaceship kind of thing right. and then uh, and then uh, and, and all that slime people you sit there and your and your jaw falls open you're like uh you know, and then, but then the same thing with uh, there's there's aspects to the, the terror is a man that the final cat monster when you finally saw it moving, it's like yeah, it's about like that. Or some of the surprising things, seeing still photographs from the 1970s episodes of Doctor Who and finding out that some of the monsters, despite the fact that the budgets are so small, you look at them and go, they did a pretty good job given what they had. Yeah. Like I had seen uh, Davros, the creator of the Daleks. First, I said he's going to look terrible when you see him in motion. He looked fantastic. No, I mean, his face, really good. They spent the a makeup, lot of time and everything. On that. Yeah, and and then and but see, I didn't see Doctor Who until I mean, I'd seen one John Pertwee episode in the early seventies and didn't even connect it with the Tom Baker thing at first. I didn't realize I was watching the same show, and I said, "Oh, this is the same show, just a different actor," and then and was charmed by it. But then you look at something like. The the uh, some of the monsters in some of the other um, Eddie Romero films are pretty bad. Some are yeah. okay, but there's also some moments in the films that are so wild. Like you know, they go back out in the jungle to look for the guy's wife, and there's a tree with all these tentacled limbs and all that kind of stuff. And and every tentacle's got another limb of her body. <laughs> like there's one that's wrapped around her leg. There's another uh, holding it in the air. And there's one that's holding her head and one that's holding her torso. And one, and it's just so whack that I kind of, that bumps it up just for, in, for, for sheer audacity, you know, and, and there's some of that stuff that's not in terror as a man that I think would have been funny. Probably couldn't have gotten away with some of that stuff back at that time period. But to say that one's better than the other, there's definitely parts of Terror as a Man that's better than the others. The other things have got some outlandish and wild stuff in it, though, that make it fun, too. Oh, yeah. They're, they You could call some of the later Blood Island films, in my opinion, uh, more fun. And, yeah. you know, because they're, they're definitely less cerebral than this film because, you know, this film's reputation for being a little too talky is earned, but it is those aspects well, of them. that those Blood, there's, oh, those blood Island, the other ones, too. There's some of those movies I got to talk, 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 talk. Oh, my God. Me and my, my brother came over and was watching. He's like, when my brother and I get really bored and we're watching a movie, we're sitting, uh, sitting in the living room and I say, hey, come on over and watch a film. We'll put on something trashy. Put on a film, start watching it, you know, uh, and then in the middle of one of those films, all of a sudden for like 45 minutes, nothing happens. They're talking. Me and my brother, to relieve the boredom, will start punching each other. 
We literally do. You're like, like kids. My God. Oh my God. Oh, and it's even worse when my son James is over there. We're like, he, he, we would literally sit on the couch and say, Hey James, sit in the middle. And then we'll start shoving him into each other. It's like, yeah, get out of here. Now you get out of here. Now you get out of here. <laughs> we even had a thing called Berlin wall where James was the Berlin wall. And we're both trying to get on both. Cause we're so, because the talk is just going on and on on these movies. So at least there's like, it's a, a punch break is basically what it is, but we all cut up and we laugh. It's sort of like our own version of mystery science theater with violence, but um, <laughs> with violence, of course, but, um, but no, no, those movies have real slow parts too, but there's some fun, there is some charm to every one of these films we're talking about. Yeah, but my point would be that there's a difference to the charms of this film and those later color films. Because yeah. the, the goal in those movies is to be much more exploitative. You have, yes. you have nudity. You have uh, an attempt at graphic violence, even though the blood is green. and then Or, get, or vibrant off pinkish purple. Holy yeah. mackerel. There was one guy that, that looked like he had spilled his sangria all over himself when he fell and it was like oh my is that supposed to be blood yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. let me ask you a question did you you've seen them all then right you've seen uh, yeah movie. i haven't seen a, there's a couple of them i haven't seen in a in a number of years like for instance i haven't watched the twilight people in like a decade and a half wow okay because that was the one i almost thought about asking you that we did today but well i'm, I'm more than, i'm more than willing to do it um but i think the next thing we need to talk about is murders in the murders room, in the room or, well i i mean we could do that when we plan on doing murders in the room or, and we can slate um a twilight people i watched it once uh last year i mm-hmm. did get a copy from daryl uh a, a month ago or so and then i'll go ahead and rewatch it and i'm gonna watch it and then we can plug it in as the second thing we do after that one all right cool so uh i enjoy this movie the more I see it, and I think that uh, you you don't you don't enjoy it as much as I do. But I've only seen it reasons. once. Really, this is only the first. Oh, this really is only the first time you've seen this movie. I said it three times during I, the show. No, I thought you had seen it uh, like in an uh, in an old like you know, on television years before. Saw I saw a photograph okay. photograph of it in Famous Monsters. Wow. The first, the yesterday, yesterday watching that camp monster was the first time I had seen it since the photographs and famous monsters. Well, uh, the, the thing is, I think this is the kind of movie that if you, you know, in a few years, you'll probably watch it again. I'll and I think you might even enjoy it a little bit more simply because uh, a lot of the stuff that I like about it, uh, it's hard to know if it came about because I was watching it, you know, a second and third time, or it's just that the, 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 the subsequent times I was watching it, I was watching a print that actually looked worth a damn. So yeah, uh, yeah. it'd be interesting to see what your reaction to it is over time but that's cool man i want to once again thank you for coming on and talking to me about these uh, bizarre blood island well this bizarre blood island film anyway we may talk about well, we talked a little bit future. about the other ones too but i i really appreciate you having me on you know you and i are buds and we don't get to do this enough as far no, as i'm concerned no, you and, and i should be battling like king kong and godzilla <laughs> every week if we had the chance i don't but... know that i have the strength mentally to to do it every week but <laughs> no, you don't have no, no, you don't have the strength mentally. Uh, but thank um, you so much. No, I, 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 you know, I love your show anyway. We've had some fun ones. We've done, a, we've done some real fun ones. Some, some that I kind of cringe. I, I haven't really ever. I never go back and listen to my podcast because I hate the sound of my own voice, uh-huh. and I'd be like terrified to go back. But I'm sure some of the stuff would really make me cringe. Some of the stuff I've said in the past. I just recently got a, a nice compliment about the shows that we've done in the done in the past together. Uh, so, uh, someone just mentioning that you know they, they really love the, the 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 shows with you on it, and I was, I I was kind of appalled when I thought about it and realized my God, it's, been, it's been almost a year since we've, since we've done one together. And it's just, you know, dude, I just checked on our, on the Skype thing. 
the last one we did was somewhere in 2018. Well, yeah, so but I didn't well release over. it. I didn't release it until the beginning of two of 2019. Oh, uh, uh, so, yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think. And then we did we did one where you and I did Outer Limits in the same room. We did it at uh, Wonderfest. At Wonderfest, yeah. So yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we should do more. We should do more than what we're doing. I think I think it's fun. I think we we play off of each other well. I think we, uh, you know, and we got subjects. Not like we're going to run out of subjects. No, not at all. But the next time you and I talk, it's definitely going to be murders in the room org. Oh, I'm excited about that. Yeah, I really am great. too. That's a, it's a movie to from the golden age that really it pays off effectively the more you dig into it. It's just there's so much meat on that bone, so that's going to be fun. Yes, I mean I'm really going to get hardcore on that one in a in a very in a very good way, a very kind way. Um, oh well, yeah, of course. I've got I mean, we both, I've got we a lot of love. It. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, there's a few few things I can I can say about it. You can like this and this, but there's also some real incredible brilliance in it. So we'll we'll do good on that one. Oh right, boy, man. there we go. Oh, I hear the I hear the dogs in the background. The that's, that, it's that, the hounds. The, the hounds. The hounds. It's definitely time to let Mark Maddox go before the dogs decide that he is tastier than what's in the bowl. Terror is a hungry dog. <laughs> Terror is so. a hungry dog. Thank <laughs> so, you, Mark. All right, man. I appreciate it, and we'll uh, we'll talk soon. All right. See you later. Welcome to Good Beer, Bad Movie Night, where each month we drink finely crafted brews while watching terrible films in order to see just how drunk you have to get to enjoy them. So tune in and join Troy. Killboy Kreitz. <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> Dave. I have the weirdest boner. And Pete. IPAs are ales, meaning they are bottom fermented. Excuse me, they are top fermented. I f- that up. <laughs> Try that again. <laughs> As we drag Kathleen, hear me, kicking and screaming through an alcohol-fueled podcast dedicated to movies of questionable quality and the frosty adult beverages that help make them tolerable. Good beer, bad movie night. Clearly, it's the beer's fault. Hey, just wanted to jump in here at the end to thank you for listening to the show and remind you that if you want to get in touch with us here on the podcast, the email address is thebloodypit at gmail.com. And as you've just heard, of course, Mark and I have plans to record several more times in calendar year 2020. And uh, if you have some uh, ideas or suggestions for things that we might cover, uh, although we have a number of suggestions between the two of us already, drop us a line, let us know. Also, with that email address, you can uh, ooh, send us... A recorded uh, voicemail. Uh, record something. Send it to us if you want to. And we will be more than happy to respond to any comments or suggestions or insults. I mean, there's lots to insult when you start talking about Mark. Most especially, I'm, I'm, I'm better than Mark. And I think we all know that. And the joy I feel in my heart to append this to the end of our podcast, knowing that he's too fearful to listen to his own voice and therefore will never hear this. I... I'm so thrilled, so thrilled. So once again, thank you for listening to the show and uh, tune in next time for another episode of The Bloody Pit. I'm Rod Barnett. We'll talk to you again soon.
Love. 